0: So like if you go and buy a coffee in the coffee shop, you you ask for a coffee, you pay for your coffee, you walk out with your coffee, and that's great. You don't need a receipt because you got what you wanted. But if you were to buy coffee for the office, then it's suddenly you're something you're going to expense. there's there needs to be some kind of proof that you spent the money, and then it goes into the official accounts for the company, and that receipt needs to have a life cycle because it's got tax implications. There's a whole story around it. So not everybody drinking coffee needs receipts, just like not everyone making software needs receipts. But if you need it to prove something in a legal context later, then absolutely the receipts are essential. Hi, I'm Mike Long. I'm the CEO of Cosley. This is Code Stories.
1: A podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. It six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't
0: exactly know it what to do next. Took many goes to get
1: right. Who built the teams that have their back? The
0: company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team.
1: Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure is a pain. Yes, we've been fighting it as we grew. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines.
0: It's not an easy thing to achieve,
1: Mike. Took view. it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life.
0: You need to really it's want it. not just about technology.
1: All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, And today, how Mike Long created a way for you to deliver secure software changes at scale, compliant, and fast. This episode is supported by Terso. Turso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Turso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at turso.tech/codestory. Turso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Memberstack. Memberstack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com Codestory. Mike Long describes himself as never really sitting still. He was born in Australia, but when he was nine years old, he moved to Scotland. Post-school, he worked in England, then Norway, then China, and now back to Norway. Early on in his career, he worked in oil and gas, building larger robots for the industry. Outside of tech, he enjoys spending time with his family and taking long walks in the forest with his dog. At his previous company, Mike was the CTO of a DevOps consultancy. He realized that they would see the same problem over and over again in regulated environments. Businesses needed a process to follow to ensure changes were tracked, and they could, in turn, keep the receipts, quote-unquote, for proof of changes. This is the creation story of Cosly.
0: Essentially what Cosly is, is, it's a DevOps tool to help companies in regulated industries like financial services, banking, or healthcare, or medical device manufacturer, safety critical systems. What we see is that DevOps teams, especially in these organizations, have a lot of manual work and toil around audit, compliance, security, these aspects of their work. People making software in this space, they have a lot of rules because their, their software comes associated with a lot of risk as well, you know, money can disappear or even lives can be in danger. So the level of scrutiny and risk management you need to do is actually quite high. So all these teams need is, they need to have a software delivery process, they need to follow that process, and they need the proof that they follow the p- process when the auditors come. Essentially, they need to keep the receipts. So that, that's what Cosley's for. We record what's running in your environment, in your production systems and so on. We connect that back to the, the code commits, the, the pull requests, the approvals, the builds, the tests, the security scans, and so on, the proof that you followed your process and we make it all searchable. So say the auditors come by, you've got all the receipts they need. It means that the developers in these companies don't need to slow down to document their work. The reason why I started the company was actually to do with my previous company. I was part of a DevOps consulting business. I was a CTO in a company called Print. As a kind of a niche DevOps consulting business, we tended to get cool into places where DevOps was more challenging. It was more requirements than just the standard of a pipeline and so on. You know, see the same problem over and over again. Whether it was in automotive, you know, car manufacturing, or medical devices, or even healthcare records, or or banking, it was the same problem. They, everybody described it slightly differently. Some said that they needed traceability. Some said that they needed to meet their change management needs. Some talked about the the regulators, but. You know, like I said, zooming out, it was all the same thing. We just need to follow a process that manages our risk and have the proof. And, you know, after our company was acquired in 2019, I thought, okay, this is definitely the thing I want to spend the time on.
1: Tell me about the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? it to be interesting because in in the industries that you're serving, I'm sure that an MVP, quote unquote, maybe might not be you know minimum. Maybe maybe it might be you know I, I don't know I don't know where you're gonna go with it, but I'm, I'm curious.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, it was very very minimal. There's a, a big M in the MVP uh, for sure. What gave us the the courage to start the company, James and my, my co-founder and I, was that we'd actually pitched this idea to a bank in, in Norway. So we'd like to build this thing. Does this sound like something you would like? And they said, Yeah, sure. How about we fund a, a proof of concept over the summer? So we had had quite good funding to spend the summer, like three months, to to build out a, a proof of concept, which is which is great. You know, we closed our first company based on a two-page white paper, essentially. So that was the real minimum viable product to get us started. You know, I knew kind of what I wanted this system to be, but basically every technical choice I made in the start was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have an append-only journal of the documentation file. Uh, and you know back then blockchain was all the rage but i was sure blockchain wasn't the right solution for this because it was distributed and trustless whereas this needed to be centralized and based on trust basically i wanted to avoid anything where there could be mutation of data so i thought well i've got a lot of experience with the internals of git maybe git could be the the storage mechanism for this tool that was like the first disastrous choice i made <laughs> The second disastrous choice I made was, well, I knew that I needed to get information from the CI pipelines into into our system. And I thought, well, OK, well, the system's going to have a front end and it's going to a So the front end and the back end, why not just do it in JavaScript? Then you've got kind of one holistic language across the whole stack. So that was really clever. And then the third mistake I made was that, OK, and then the client tools that ran in the pipeline would be written in Python. Happy to dig into why all those choices ended up being wrong and thrown out over time, but actually ended up throwing out Java before we even demoed to to the customer. Basically replaced six weeks of JavaScript coding with one week of Python coding. It was just so much more, shall we say, productive to work in python for the problem I was solving so that was good that we kind of solved that quickly and yeah it took another year before we swapped out git and the python client tools but all in all the, the decisions early on were not great but they were enough to get us our, our mvp to demo something and to to start towards our early customers
1: this episode is encrypted by stash data breaches are becoming a fact of life know why one of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cipherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption-in-use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cipherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cipherstashcom codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up treble Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash Codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash Codestory. You have your MVP. It's, it's working, You're, you've proven the point, you've worked through all of your technological decisions. How did you progress the product from that point and mature it? And I think to, to wrap that question in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is, how did you go about building your roadmap? And how did you decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with costly
0: What kind of happened coincidentally was I built the an MVP of the product, and we'd already always kind of assumed it would be because our customer base was quite risk adverse. We thought it would be an on-prem solution to begin with. And that was really where our focus was. Let's try and get four or five big financial institutions who want this thing and have them fund the development. And what happened at the same time was a thing called COVID-19. And that became, as a business plan, became the wrong choice because all of the big financial institutions were, they were not doing innovation projects in 2020 and even in 2021. This was the time to figure out how to use Zoom and run your bank remotely without office space. Into that period, it was time to reevaluate. We're too early to sell this at scale. Our early design customers are busy with other things at the moment. So what do we do as the next step? And what James and I really decided was, okay, let's take this thing and turn it into a SaaS product. Make it easy to use no operational overhead, and see if we can get some smaller customers on board, because we realized that rather than funding it through innovation projects and big companies, we'd have to get early adopters and go towards a VC-funded route. So that's what we did in 2020, built the SaaS basic functionality, made it self-serve to an extent, and towards the end of the year, we picked up four or five fintechs, and that was great, because that was enough proof. We had usage, we had people that believed in the idea, that was also enough for us to raise a pre-seed. And then step by step, it was, as we had customers, it was a bit easier to drive roadmaps. roadmap. And we had customers with real needs that we could iterate and use as design partners.
1: Okay. You mentioned, you know, you raised your pre-seed and you have enough money to, to build a team. Let's talk about that team. How did you go about that process of building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: I guess the unfair advantage that I had is that, you know, I have a lot of friends that are excellent technologists I've worked with in the past. So nearly all the early employees, I would say, yes, nearly all of the first 10 employees were part of my existing network I'd either worked with for years or collaborated on open source or in conference circuit. or So it was all people that I knew I would really want to work with if I ever had the chance. I was very happy that they wanted to work with me as well. So that was kind of the hack, I would say. And then, you know, as we've gone further, the, the net has been cast wider and it's, it's just grown from step to step. But what's always been interesting is the further along my career, it's less important what I work on, but more important who I do it with. So figuring out who's in the, in the team is actually one of the biggest decisions you can make as a founder.
1: This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast.ai can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast.ai is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Turso. Turso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vasell, Edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With the developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to Terso.tech slash code story and get started today. That's turs tech slash code Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. Okay, let's flip to scalability then. This will this will be interesting. I know the iterations from of technology, you know, may have you know, made this something that wasn't thought of in the beginning. But I'm curious if, closely, it was built with scale in mind from day one, or is this something you're having to fight and adjust as you grow?
0: We did. We kind of definitely had our our battle with scalability. I wouldn't say it's behind us, but at least we're we've tamed the beast to the level of scale that we need for the for the short term. So, as a startup, I think that's the right level of investment. As I hinted at before, we started as Git as the database, and that was fine until volumes got quite large. And then you start to realize that if you want to look at the the history of a file in a Git repository, you actually have to traverse the entire repo's history, and that becomes extremely slow. That was the, the big scaling challenge that we had to face. So we, we did a lot of work last year to move towards an append-only document database last year, and that really made a big difference. Obviously, there'll be more and more scaling issues as we get more and more customers, and with the customers we're onboarding now, we're looking at 100,000 changes a month, you know, millions of changes a year, and then being able to navigate that volume of data is gonna be really interesting to solve. But then we coming, many of us in the tech team are coming from real-time systems. I don't think the technology risk is so so big in our business, it's more about the the go to market risk. You'd piqued my
1: interest with the append only document-based database. Can you tell me a little bit more about that solution and how you
0: how you came about it? There's no real magic sauce. We looked at a lot of different options here. Should we use a Merkle chain or what's the right format for this? Where we ended up in the end was to use the document DB or MongoDB as the, the backing database. And then write a transparency log on the side if we need it. We haven't so far had a lot of pull. What's quite interesting actually is that the guarantees for append only, the mutability are on our side in the application rather than as technical limitation. But because of this, we can fingerprint every transaction into the the system and create a transparency log for it. So I think that's where we're headed towards going forward.
1: Okay, so as you step out on the balcony, and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: I mean, obviously the team is the, the engine that drives the whole thing. I'm very, very pleased with the team that we have. We're 15 people, everyone has earned their seat in the team and it's, uh, it's great because we're all extremely motivated for what we're doing. We're having a lot of fun while we do it. And that kind of shines through when we go into conversations with our customers and work together on solving problems. It just makes the day so much better. Every problem's a lot smaller. And I feel like going forward with this team, we're we're in a good spot.
1: Let's flip the script a little bit then. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: There's not been any big mistakes, but... There's a lot of learnings that we've had that maybe would have shortened the cycles and and what we're doing. I think as a company it took too long to to address the American market and to try and be active in the American market. If I was to do it again, I would not start a company selling to banks during a global pandemic either. <laughs> I don't know if they're mistakes, but they're. They're definitely learning. I think that what I've learned over the, the period of building this business is that the US is a really great place to build companies. And we were two and a half years into it before we had our attention set over here. I think that was a little bit of a culture challenge with Scandinavian startups in general is that you know, there's, there's a lot of support locally, there's a lot of talent locally. You, you can even get funding locally. There's a little bit of a mentality. First you win your local market, then you win Scandinavia, then you win Europe, then you win the US. I don't agree with that. Having seen what I've seen so far is that, you know, get to the US as early as possible and learn as much as you can about the biggest market that you're you're attempting to, to work in.
1: You mentioned a little bit of this earlier, but I'm I'm gonna ask it as if you didn't answer, or maybe it seeds my question a little bit, but I'm excited about what the future looks like for the product and for your team.
0: From a technology perspective, we're super ambitious. So we have a way to turn your environments, you know, Kubernetes clusters, Docker containers, S3 buckets, into version control, essentially, without, like, just automatically, we, we fingerprint everything and we serialize it in a way that just looks like version control. So you can have the, the change log of a, a Kubernetes environment, how it actually changes. And that means you can check out older versions, like what was running on Christmas Day is a question we can answer. Uh, We can say, you know, how has this environment changed this morning? Like what what is its evolution over time? Or what is the difference between these two points in time or even these two systems? Like what's the difference between staging and production is a really interesting question to ask oftentimes. What we found is that we've kind of built a very general purpose tool but we've only focused on a, a very specific niche around compliance, audit and security. And what I'm really excited to see is what happens when we open this up to folks that are not thinking about this from an audit perspective but from a, I just need to know what's going on perspective. We're starting to realize that we're sitting on a lot of extremely valuable data, how your systems are changing, where those changes are coming from being able to query and search and report on this stuff has is, is, is got a lot of value. But we're starting to realize, well, how do we get this information out to people? Is it uh, through chat integrations to Slack? Where else should this data be showing up? How else should we be integrating with other systems? It's uh, once What I love about this problem is that the more we pull on the thread, the, the more we find. It seems like a, an endless possibility. Again, it's, it's kind of like an ERP system. You think about your DevOps as being like the factory floor. This is how your software changes get made. We're like the ERP system. And as an ERP system, we haven't really gotten to the bottom of what we could do with that power.
1: As you were describing, and I was thinking about that, opening it up to other other people is that does that change the product or the product approach because i imagine the the people or the entities that you're targeting now that are a little more regulated perhaps are maybe more enterprise leaning i could be wrong there but that's where my head goes and does that change how or does that
0: change how you build the product moving forward? Does that split it? Fun thing is that it doesn't change the product very much because regardless of what the use case is, you want to record the facts. So, what you need to make sure is that you know this this is a true record of the deployment. So, this is a true record of what's running in this system. Or this is a true record of this security scan. That all stays this. Same whether you're using it for security or audit, or if you're just using it to find out, hey, I've had an incident, what changed? You know, imagine your alerts are firing, you go and look at your dashboards and your, your monitoring tool, you see, okay, something's going wrong. Really the first thing you wanna know is what changed. That doesn't change our system, but it brings new challenges in terms of messaging. How, how do we describe our tool to the market? How do we find our customers? How do we let them understand that this is also for them?
1: Tell me who influences the way that you work. Name a person or many persons or,
0: or something you look up to and why. Well, I mean, the, the great thing about working in the software industry is there's so many people to be inspired by. I mean, we're just surrounded by great role models. And I think the ones that are closest to the home, the ones that I work the most with are actually our investors. We're lucky enough to be backed by a venture capital company called Heavy bit in Silicon Valley, and they're all Dev Tool founders in the past. The partners in the firm. So Jesse was a founder at Chef. Uh, James was a founder of Heroku. Joe was a founder of Labrato. They've all walked the walk in this space. They've all built tool companies. They understand the market, and they only invest in DevOps companies. Essentially, so it's been PagerDuty, Stripe, LaunchDarkly, these kind of companies. So. The, the whole network around the ecosystem is just fantastic. Constantly being introduced to people that I'm just in awe of. I, I couldn't list them all, but there are a lot of people, especially in these circles, that have a wealth of experience and are very generous with their time, which we're ever thankful for.
1: We talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin, Mike. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? And it doesn't have to be something that was a mistake or it doesn't have to be something that even didn't work. could have worked well,
0: but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. I touched on it a bit earlier. I think that all things being equal, I wish we'd come to the US earlier. Maybe this is just my, my experience from the outside, but in Scandinavia, where are home is, it's very conservative people are comfortable very comfortable but it doesn't lead to an awful lot of innovation and risk-taking especially in the types of customers that we're, we're, we're targeting so it was quite a hard place to start i think if i was honestly if i had another chance i would find a way to get to the u.s or find u.s customers find the u.s market earlier because there's so much to learn from the from the u.s market and just It's easier. It seems like the risk appetite and the the competition is much, much stronger. So there's always a desire to find a new edge to to try something new.
1: Okay, Mike, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person? Having gone down this road a bit.
0: So I would definitely encourage them to turn their idea into reality and to do it as quickly as possible. Social media is full of armchair generals and, you know, armchair generals don't win the war. The way you actually succeed in life is to go out and do it and make the product, market it, find customers do all the hard work it's not easy for sure you're going to make lots of mistakes you never get it right because this isn't what you've done if you especially if you're a technologist you spend your time writing code and getting good at that and maybe building products as well but taking an idea and turning it into a business is a hard problem but the only way to do it is to actually do it you can't go off and do an MBA and do it. There's no prerequisite. No one's going to pick you. You just have to go and do it. So that would be my encouragement. Do it. Absolutely do it and do it as quickly as you can because time is flying.
1: I couldn't agree more. Well, Mike, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of costly. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.